You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, please take a seat, everyone. My name is Jimmy Young. I'm the Assistant Minister here at St. John's. It's my great pleasure to be with you this morning. I I missed you last week, recovering from COVID, uh, and so thank you for your prayers and your kind words. Welcome to anyone joining us online, particularly my son Nathan. What a joy it is for you to watch me instead of Lightning McQueen. You must be overjoyed with that. Well, we are looking at the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth is a book of romance. It's a story of a down-on-her-luck young woman finding peace and security and love in the arms of an older, unlucky-in-love Man, this is the setup to many romantic comedies. In fact, it's probably my second favorite setup after Hotshot Lawyer finds love in small town woman slash man. It's a romance. Ruth is a book of romance, but Ruth is also a book about rest. The romance flies off the page, but rest is ever present in the book of Ruth. In fact, when Naomi is trying to convince Ruth and Orpah to stay home or to go back to Moab, this is what she says. In, in the NRIV, she says, May he help each of you find a secure place. May he give you peace and rest. Now, in the ver- first verse that was read out to us today in Ruth, It's translated as security in the NRSV, but in most other translations, it's translated like this. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? A resting place. Ruth is a book about rest. Rest would be particularly significant for someone like Ruth and Naomi, a particular place to rest, because that would mean that you have a place to put down roots, a place to be secure, a place to be provided for, a place to be protected. It would be significant for someone like Ruth. When many of us hear the word rest, we immediately think of holidays, of drinks in the sun, of kicking up our feet and watching TV or meeting friends, but that's not really rest, that's relaxation. They're not always the same things. In fact, you can relax and not be at rest. That's how most of us rest. We binge our Netflix series, we go from social media to social media, we go from holiday to holiday, but we leave ourselves tired. In fact, we should know this is true, because for the past two and a half years, we've had intermittent lockdowns, where we've placed down lots of our responsibilities and been forced, in essence, to rest. We can't go out and do all the things that we normally do. And yet, I wonder how many of us have felt at rest. In fact, the most familiar refrain that I've heard over the last nine months is how tired we all are, particularly in the first couple of months coming out of COVID. You can relax and not be at rest. In fact, God's vision for rest is so much bigger than just kicking up our feet. It's a vision for a whole of life lived in security and safety of being under God's sovereign provision. It's closely linked with this idea of shalom, 
which is usually translated peace, but can also be translated as completeness, wholeness, security. God's vision for rest is a whole life at rest, not just our bodies. Are you at rest? Would you characterize your life as restless or restful? Restless or restful, are you at rest? In fact, I think for most of us, we live life something like what Naomi is doing in the early parts of Ruth chapter 3. We are looking for something that will bring us rest. We're trying to find that thing that if we just get this, then finally I can stop. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and it will be different for all of us. For some of us, it will be the end of the school term, finally school holidays. For some of us, it will be the hope that maybe potentially one day our kids will finally sleep through the night, please Lord. (laughs) It might be retirement or owning your own home, financial security. There's that thing in our heads that if I just got this, then I could rest. But the thing that we do is that that thing inevitably doesn't provide the rest that we so desperately desire, and so we just punt it to the next thing. Because school holidays have come and gone, and we're still tired. And kids have grown up and now they sleep all the way through the night and we are still tired. And we own our own homes and we are still tired. We have financial security and we're still tired. They're not bad things, they just don't deliver the way we thought they would. So Naomi comes up with a scheme to gain the rest for Ruth and herself that she so desperately desires. And that's what we read in the opening lines of chapter 2. Naomi says to Ruth, now just notice first, chapter 2, Naomi is so deeply mired in her depression that she's basically saying to Ruth, go and do whatever you want. You've got a plan? Great, cool. Now Naomi is activated, she's engaged, something has happened. She's discovered Boaz, this kinsman, this guardian redeemer. So she says, now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young woman you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, all that you will tell me, I will do. So she went down to the thrusting floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. Make no mistake, what is going on here is that Naomi is preparing Ruth for a marriage proposal. That is what is going on here. Ruth anoints herself, bathes herself, changes. This is preparation, in essence, for a marriage proposal. Now, It's important to see what's going on here. She is enhancing her feminine attractiveness, but doing so in a way that is entirely, entirely consistent with the things that Boaz already admires about her, her character, her integrity, her loyalty. She's following in the words of Naomi. 
And so she's to go, wait until Boaz eats and drinks and lies down. She's to lie down next to him and to uncover his feet. Now, it's often been discussed or wondered whether this is some kind of seductiveness, whether she's something saucy is going on. Well, I don't think that's what's going on. I think uh, Barry Webb, who's a, a, a great commentator, said, She's probably uncovering his feet so that he would wake up in the middle of the night in the cold. Just as what would happen to any of us if we uncovered our feet. If you've ever woken up in the middle of the night wondering why your feet are suddenly out of the doona and be like, how am I so cold? That's what's going on here. That's what happens for Boaz. Boaz wakes up. And Boaz probably presents the PG version of what most of us would say if we found a strange person at the foot of our bed. He says, who are you? That is not what I would say. <laughs> Boaz is obviously much holier than me. So the story says, when Boaz had eaten and drunk, he was in a contented mood. He went to lie down and she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, who are you? <laughs> this is a man of great restraint. <laughs> That's what we know about Boaz. But I want you to notice a couple of things, particularly about the way Ruth speaks back, her line. First, the thing that she said is, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, this is a big change because in chapter 2, the way that Ruth describes herself is as a foreigner, someone who is not your servant. So in chapter 2, she says, I am a foreigner, not your servant. And now she's saying, I am Ruth, your servant. There is a change in allegiance going on here. Before, she was a free agent, able to play the field as she desires. Whereas now she's saying, in some way, Boaz, I am yours. There's a change in identity. She says, spread your cloak over your servant. Now, this is a, a, an example of, of some complex wordplay going on because she's actually mirror, mirroring something that Boaz has said in chapter 2. So when Boaz meets Ruth, he prays this over her, that the Lord may reward you for your deeds. May you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Well, the thing is, the line, spread your cloak over your servant, can be translated as spread your wings over your servant. Boaz has prayed that God would bless Ruth under the wings of the Lord, who she has come to seek refuge. And now he, she is saying, spread your wings over me. She's in essence saying, Boaz, you remember that thing that you prayed for? You are the answer to your own prayer. You are the answer to your own prayer. There's a mirroring of something Boaz has already said. But the last line is perhaps the most important. For you are next of kin. Perhaps a better translation would be as guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer. Now, a guardian redeemer was an influential member of your family who could redeem you, particularly to be used when a house or land was sold in times of conflict or distress, or when there was a widow who was left childless, that the guardian redeemer could come along and redeem the land and the widow and provide her an heir, provide her a son or a daughter. And so, in essence, what Ruth is saying to Boaz is, redeem me, redeem me. 
I need to be redeemed. You can redeem me. Make no mistake, this is a marriage proposal. For, for Ruth to say, you are my next of kin, my guardian redeemer, she is saying, you can redeem me, but the only way to be redeemed is through marriage. Redeem me. This is a marriage proposal. And Boaz sees it as such. The way he responds is, he doesn't just, just t- throw it away. No, he responds as if it is a marriage proposal. So we read these lines. He says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for this last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do all that you ask. For the assembly of my people know that you're a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman or a guardian redeemer, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to act as next of kin, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin, as your guardian redeemer for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, it must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said, bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back and then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who said, how did things go? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, he gave me these six measures of barley. For he said, do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth leaves with a promise that Boaz will redeem her. She leaves with a promise that Boaz will redeem her. And if not Boaz and this nearer guardian redeemer, She leaves with a promise that has not just been sealed with mere words, but Boaz has given her a gift to seal this promise. He's given her six measures of barley. He's filled her shawl, her her cloak with barley. And it's interesting, the words that he says to her, because he says, he gave me these six measures of barley, don't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's interesting because in chapter 1, the, very, the, the, the foremost thing, the thing that stands out most about chapter 1 for me is when Naomi says, I have left full and I have come back empty. Same word. In chapter 1, Naomi has left full and come back empty. In chapter 3, Ruth has come empty and left not empty-handed. She has been filled. There is something going on about the banishing of emptiness in this chapter, that in the promise of Boaz, Ruth and Naomi are no longer empty. They have been promised to be redeemed and they are no longer empty. In fact, even the number is significant. How many measures of barley has she been given? Six. How many days did God work before he rested? Even the number of barley 
is anticipation of the rest to come. And that's what happens. We find at the end of the chapter, Ruth and Naomi are waiting for the rest promised by Boaz. And if you've skipped ahead, spoiler warning, you've had 2,000 years, Boaz does redeem Ruth. She does find her rest. But the question on my lips is, how do, how do we enter that rest? How do we enter the rest that God promises? If rest is such a significant aspect of the book of Ruth, then what does that mean for us, particularly those who feel not at rest, who feel restless? Is the answer simply to find our Boaz? We just need to find that one person who will make everything right in our life. Well, I don't think that's the answer, particularly those of us who are married or have been married you'll know that just entering into marriage doesn't necessarily lead to an abundance of rest. No, the answer from the book of Ruth is not to find your Boaz. The answer is that rest is located in the Redeemer. Rest is located in the Redeemer. It's interesting to me how often in the New Testament, Jesus is illustrated or described in words that are either romantic or rest-filled. So you think of the relationship between Christ and the church was described as a marriage, Christ as the groom, the church as the bride, and He will wash her, cleanse her, make her clean. There is redemption going on in the romance of Christ. But in Hebrews, He's also described as our Sabbath rest. In fact, I think of the very famous word, which may in fact be the most beautiful words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 11, 20-30, Come to me all that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest is located in the Redeemer. But the thing about rest in the New Testament, in fact, in all the Bible, is that rest is a gift from God. It's not something that can be earned. Rest is not what happens when we kick back after a hard day's work that God gives us. In fact, it's one of the very first gifts that God gives. When Adam and Eve are breathed into life, their first day on earth is not a day of work, but a day of rest. One of the things that marks Israel separate from the other nations is not their work ethic, but the fact that God has given them one day to be set aside for resting in the Lord. Rest is a gift from God. And often, for us to enter into that rest, we actually need to place something down. The way that Jesus describes it is to take up my yoke. Well, it's hard to take up your yoke or pick up your yoke when you've already got full hands. Often something has to be placed down for us to pick up the yoke of Christ. I'm not someone who finds rest easy. I'm a bad rester most of the time. I've just come off seven days of isolation and by day four I already had a checklist of things that I wanted to achieve before I came out of isolation. 
When we go on holidays, after two days of rest, I want to go climb a mountain. So I'm, I'm not good at rest. And I, this bleeds over into to work and relationships and, uh, and faith. And I remember one day I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he said, what drives that for you? What drives your inability to stop? And we drilled down and we, we worked through some stuff. And what it came down to is that I'd picked up this idea subconsciously that my identity, in fact, my ability to be loved was determined by what you did, what you achieved, what you kept on doing. And so to stop was to risk not being loved, to put your identity on the line. And I'll never forget what my friend said to me. He said, do you know what the good news is? The good news is that God loved you before you did anything for him. The good, lo- good news is that Jesus Christ died for you before you did anything for him. There was nothing that you did that could earn God's love for you in Christ Jesus. There was nothing you could do that would make God you lo- love you less. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you more. You're accepted in Christ, so stop and accept the rest that God has for you. Man, I've got, I got to tell you, those words, even now, years on, they feel like rest. They feel like I could finally go, that's what Christ offers. Now that's what drives me, but that not, might not be what drives you. So my question is the same that was asked of me. What drives you? If you are restless or struggle with resting, what drives that for you? What ideas do you believe? What experience have you had that have led you to a place where you cannot stop? You know, I love the last line of Ruth chapter 3. When Naomi says, wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. Ruth could rest because she trusted that Boaz was going to do everything he said he was going to do, that he would not rest until it was done. Well, Christian, you can rest because Jesus has done everything he said he would. He loves you, he died for you, he rose again and he offers the opportunity for all of us to be part of his family. Rest is open and available for you. So this week one time, sit down and speak with God about what you might be filling your life with that you can't place down, what might be driving you because can I tell you how freeing it is to place down all the things that we think will bring us rest and just to go, all right, Jesus, I trust you. I'll stop. I'm going to pray for us now. God, we thank you for the life of Ruth, for the life of Naomi and for the life of Boaz. We thank you for the provision that you have given them in this story the way that you have provided for Ruth and Naomi, widowers, foreigners, the last and the least, 
that you have provided a way for them to be redeemed, a way for them to enter into rest. And God, we pray that in the same way you have provided for them, that you would provide for us. God, reveal to us right now in this moment the things, the ideas, the experiences that led us to a place where we can't stop, we can't relent, we can't slow down. God, reveal to us all the ways that we have filled our hands with things. God, convict us of all the ways that we have not trusted you and your ways. And lead us so that we may place those things down. Pick up your yoke that is light and easy. And Lord, may we find rest not only for our bodies, but our very souls in you. God, we pray that your spirit might fill us. And it would bear much fruit, not through our actions or activities, but they would bear much fruit through the simple act of trusting you enough to stop and slow down. That we may find rest and our resting place in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.